0: Well, good evening. Exodus chapter number 20 tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the time we've had. We thank You for the privilege of meeting with You tonight. May we learn something more about the glorious privilege of meeting You, of worshiping You, of hearing Your Word and being transformed by what You have said to us as we obey You. We thank You, Lord, for this part of Your Word. So much is here for us. So much of what we now know to be salvation in Jesus Christ is grounded and placed here on this bedrock of the law of God. We thank You, Lord, for the things we have the chance to look at tonight. During the midweek we pray for Uh, We pray for our people, many who are sick these days, others who cannot be with us, uh, who are listening tonight. We pray that You would bless them wherever they are. May they be encouraged. May they know that we are together in spirit, though we're not together personally in presence. We pray that You might help us as a church to be salt and light in this world and that we might live dead to the world but alive to You and seek to follow You in all of our ways. We thank You for all that's going on on this campus tonight, all of the various places where Bible studies and our people meet in various times and gatherings. We pray that You might bless them, that it might all be to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. Well, we go to Exodus chapter 20. Perhaps uh, one of the most famous chapters in all of the Bible, and we're making our way through Exodus. And for those of you who are joining us who cannot be here in person, may the Lord bless you, we miss you, we pray for you to be back when you can. Last week we began uh, to look at this very important theme of worshiping and meeting God. Tonight, God speaks the ten words to Israel. For the first time, God gives uh, what is an astounding set of words, the ten words as they're called in Scripture, and uh, the Ten Commandments as we know them. But I want you to begin by reading two verses that bracket chapter 19 and 20. I want you to read with me, first of all, Exodus 19:17. This is as Moses is preparing the people to meet God and worship. Notice the language. Nineteen seventeen And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. Meet God. <clears throat> then we're going to see tonight as we go through Exodus 20, we look at the, the giving of the law, uh, the, the Ten Commandments. But after that, God begins to speak to Moses in some very clear ways. And then we read in verse number 24, uh, this is what God wishes for Israel to do all the days of their life. You shall make an altar of earth for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen, in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. Please look at the last phrase, A promise, I at the altar, at the altar, at the altar of sacrifice, I will come to you and bless you. This is quite astounding to read. First, the people come to meet God. Then we read, and God comes to meet the people. That's what happens when we worship. This is an experience of worship tonight where we've gathered here tonight. We sometimes make things seem a little bit more clinical and educational where we're having Bible study. We're actually meeting God together around the Word of God. We have sung praise to the Lord. and So I want to begin by uh, mentioning something to you. And Sunday was a snowy day. We didn't have a lot of our people here. I'm hoping that a number of our people were able to hear what we were talking about. as we think about being dead to the world, but we were talking about Romans chapter 12, the importance for all of us as believers to present our bodies. This is an act of worship now I'm talking about. We are to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice to God. That is our spiritual service of worship. So we present, ho- we ho- we present our bodies holy, not in unholiness. We don't do things with our bodies that are unholy. We live in holiness and we present ourselves as living sacrifices. So we present ourselves as sacrifices. So I wanted to just say some words to you here to remind us all of something that's very important. So I'm not trying to offend you tonight, I'm just trying to help us get an angle on this and remember what we have here. In chapter 19 we see the same presentation to meet God. God says to Moses, that uh, He is to cleanse the people, consecrate them. Go back now, Exodus 19, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud, so that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe in you forever. This is uh, 19.9. Then Moses told the people all this, and then the Lord also said to Moses, uh, 19.10, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So there is preparation, uh, excuse me, presentation and preparation that is made to worship. I wonder tonight, as we do what we do, many of us do this, we do this all the time, we meet together, Uh, to study God's Word, but it's more than us meeting together. It's what I read to you. We have come to meet God. We are here tonight to meet God. This is our way of doing it. So today, I wonder, did you present your body as you started your day? This is an act of worship. It is the way we consecrate ourselves each day. It's the way we prepare ourselves for spiritual service. I'm talking to Christians here. I'm not talking... To those who do not know Jesus. If I am a follower of Jesus, this is my, as I said Sunday, this is my first act of resistance to the world. The world doesn't do this, but I privately get up every day and I crawl up on the altar as a living sacrifice, confessing my sin that so I'll be useful for God's service, and I present myself to God and say, Here I am. One more day you've given me, so I want to serve you. I want to do so. I present myself to God. I present myself to God. I meet God and present myself to God. But then I also prepare for worship. Did you see it there, uh, eleven? And then be ready for the third day. Do you come to this church house, uh, and do you meet God privately with uh, with preparation? Do you prepare for it? Or is it just, and and I don't mean this in a derogatory, is it just a mindless uh, routine, uh, as I've said before, like brushing your teeth or combing your hair? Well, I read my verse for the day. Well, that's good. But did you get anything from reading that verse today or opening your Bible or reading God's Word? You see, meeting God, meeting God in worship Meeting God in private worship and in public worship together uh, is of the most glorious of things that God has blessed us with. We come to meet God at a place and God comes to meet us in that place. So there's presentation of myself in worship. There is preparation for worship. So I must ask you tonight, I know you probably caught the news Oh, the blizzards are coming, we know all, we've got the news, we've heard it all today. But has there been any preparation in our hearts when we come to prepare to hear God's Word? Oh, it's just Pastor Mike again. Forget Pastor Mike. He's just another slave in a long line of God's people that are called out to do what they do. He's the slave. It isn't about him. Are you prepared to hear tonight something from God? This takes preparation. They came out of the camp to meet God. And God said, when you build your altar, I will meet you at the altar. That's what God says to Israel in Exodus twenty twenty-four. 24. Well, there's a pre- there's presentation of myself to God. If I'm going to meet God and God's going to meet me, first I present myself. Secondly, I prepare myself and then I experience God's presence as I worship. Did you know the Lord Jesus said this? Look, we're we're small in number tonight. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of you. The Lord Jesus is here. So we recognize His wonderful, glorious presence, the, the, the blessedness of the Holy Spirit's presence among us, Holy Spirit within us, Holy Spirit around us in this place. We come, we present ourselves to God, we prepare to meet God together and privately, and then we experience God. You see, this is the question. What do you present yourself and your body to do when you're in private? Do you present yourself to do sinful things? Or do you present your body to God in private? Well, you see, this is what we do. We gather together and we experience the presence of God. And they did. The glorious power of God came down on Mount Sinai. This is a little bit of a review. Exodus 19. And it was the mountain was full of smoke. Verse 18, And the Lord descended in fire, and the smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. The sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, and Moses spoke, and God answered him, in thunder. What a glorious experience of meeting God and though the thunder doesn't roll and the mountain doesn't shake, that still small voice speaks to us when we come to meet God and we're prepared for it. Do you hear His voice tonight? Do you hear His voice? And then there is, along with all of this, this presentation of coming to meet God and preparation to meet God and experiencing God as God meets us. But then there is the hearing of God's Word. So we read, "...and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God." 17. And then we come to verse 1 of Exodus 20. "...then God spoke all these words." I want to make this clear to you that anytime we come uh, to meet together for worship or when you are privately worshiping, uh, it is one thing to sing praise to God, but it is absolutely essential that you hear God's Word. Worship is, worship is not complete without the hearing and receiving of God's Word. Can you imagine this? Now, God has given some general instructions through Moses to Israel, but now all of Israel hears God speak. When we meet with God and God meets with us, we hear God speak. We hear God speak. And He speaks to us through His Word. This is why we are such people of the book. This is why we spend so much time in this. This is why we give a a large amount of our percentage of time in our worship services to the hearing and preaching of God's Word. Well, at home you're reading it on your own and you're meeting God. But when you're with God's people, you meet God around His Word. We fellowship with God around the Word. And so now God speaks to Israel. And then what happens after He speaks? The people build an altar. You know, I grew up in a time of altar calls like a lot of you. Now, times have changed somewhat through the years. Church styles and all the rest. We still have public invitations. We still uh, talk about the altar. That is, Did you see the altar is not some specified place in the building. It is the place where you meet God and you lay yourself down in sacrifice to Him. That's why the altar building ends Exodus chapter 20. Altar building comes when you've met God. Altar building, laying on the altar, not just to prepare yourself and present yourself to God for service, but to die on the altar so that you might be useful to God, is how worship ends. See, I leave this place tonight after meeting with you and we meet with God expecting the Holy Spirit to say, I'm not just going through the routine. Well, let's go up there and... What is Pastor Mike going to say about Exodus 20? That'll be interesting. No, 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 no. We are here to meet God. And we we are here to finish tonight by getting on the altar. Coming to the altar and saying, Here I am. I will obey Your Word. I will do your word, and I will be a living sacrifice to glorify you. So now God speaks as they worship. Verse number 2, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or an or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me, and keep My commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes His name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son, daughter, male, female servants, cattle, sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, and the earth, and the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, female servant, or his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So God speaks these ten words as we know. These first... uh, these first commands demonstrate our love for God. Uh, these last commands demonstrate our love for our neighbor. If I love my neighbor, if I love my neighbor, I'm not going to, I'm going to honor my father and my mother. They are my neighbor, though they're my father and mother. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to murder, nor commit adultery, nor steal, nor lie about my neighbor, nor covet the things my neighbor has if I love my neighbor, and oh, if I love God. If I love God, I'll put nothing else before God. Nothing else. How did our Lord say it to us? You all know this word. I'm going to quote words that you know. I'm going to quote these words to you. Unless you hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your husband, and yourself, you cannot be My disciple. What was the Lord saying? Was He saying be a hater? No. He was saying, your love for God, your love for me is so great, it makes these other relations, relationships look like you hate them. Do you have that kind of love for God tonight, my friends? Do you have anything else or anybody else that you have placed before God? They might be a really wonderful person. They might be a sweet child. They might be your family. It might be whoever it might be, or whatever it might be, have you placed something before God? You know how you know that? If you think about that more than you think about God. If you prioritize your life for that person or that thing more than you prioritize your life for God, you can always determine what you love by your priorities. You shall not make for yourself an image or an idol of the created order. What did Paul tell us in Romans chapter 1? You know these words. When man refused to hear the Word of God, he suppressed the truth. He started worshiping and serving the creature rather than the Creator. He turned to himself. Oh, the world is filled with selfish idolatry. It's amazing. The more technology we have, the more, the more we use these devices, the more, we <clears throat> the more we are consumed with putting ourselves on them. Pictures of ourselves. Stories about ourselves. It, it consumes us. It is the idol of self. It has finally been seen. Man has been able through technology in these last days to demonstrate just the utter selfishness and the great idol of self. You see, I must deny myself and take up my cross and die to follow Jesus. You cannot be a self-lover and a Jesus-lover at the same time. I'm asking tonight, Have you made an idol of yourself or of someone else? And of course we are not to worship any other, but to worship God as we've been talking about. Do you meet God in worship? This is such an important thing. I'm amazed people want to tell me that they're Christians, but they never meet God. They never meet God! How can I be a Christian if I never pray, if I never meet God, if I never read the Word of God, if I don't care about spiritual things, Is it it some kind of a civic badge in America? Well, I'm a Christian. What does that mean? You attend church? You, You go through religious thoughts? You have ideas? Or your mama and daddy? Or your grandparents? Or somebody gave you some of this and you have it in your mind? No, you see, when we know the Lord, we worship Him. We meet God. We earnestly desire. It's the first thing we set and prioritize. It's not the last. It's the first thing we do. It is a, a, the first matter. You shall not worship or serve them, verse 5. I'm a jealous God. And God says in these words that those who practice idolatry hate God. Oh, I love God. Do you? Do you love God? Then have you placed, if you have placed an idol before God... You hate God. You do not love God. And then the Lord says this wonderful blessing. He shows loving kindness to thousands, to those who... Please notice that in verse 6. Why is He jealous? Jealousy is a relational emotion. Jealousy is a relational emotion. When you're in a love relationship, there's jealousy if someone tries to break that up. This is God saying, I am jealous of you. I love you. I care about you. And so I do not want anyone or anything to come between us. And he says, showing loving kindness to those who love me. I love you as you love me. You love me, I love you. We meet God in a love relationship. I love to meet God. This is what I say as a believer. I love to meet God. And as we love Him, we keep His commandments. What did the Lord Jesus tell us? If you love me... You will keep My commandments. And then we don't take His name in vain. We don't say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus, but we live like the world. We do not take His name in vain. We say, as the Lord said, yes or no. Not oath-making people. We are yes or no people. Yet We are people of our Word as followers of Jesus. And then He goes on and speaks about the importance of sabbath. Now, he's already introduced sabbath to Israel. You remember when God was providing them with manna, he was already having Moses explain to Israel that they could only pick up manna for 6 days. On the 7th day, you can't pick it up. If you go out and try to pick it up, it'll rot. It won't you you won't have anything. You pick up twice as much on Saturday, excuse me, on Friday so that you have enough <clears throat> for Saturday under Jewish law. So there is this rest and work relationship. Look, I love you all and I know how hard you work in here. I know most of you in this room very well. And I know the pressures you feel and I know the schedules you keep. But you must, you must, you must. It is God's way. It is God's design. You must have a work-rest relationship in your life. Work-rest. Work-rest. You must have it. And when you have rest, it's not just to lay down. It is to think about and meet God. It is to have time to think about God. This is a matter of scheduling and priorities. And then he goes on and talks about, as I've already commented, about the importance of our relationships to others. So first, they meet God. They experience God's presence. They're prepared and expecting God. They didn't know. They were cleansed and prepared and washed. And then God's Word comes and as God's word comes they have a response verse 18 all the people perceived now this is remember now we have to pay, pay attention to this there's thunder there's lightning there's shaking and quaking there's a blasting of a trumpet on the mountain the mountain is smoking and the people are seeing it and notice in verse 18 they tremble and stood at a distance <clears throat> Some of the old rabbinic tradition says they went as far as two miles away. Well, you remember, these, there are millions of people here. There are millions of people here. Seeing this at the mountain, they have come to meet God, and the mountain is on fire, and the earth is shaking, and oh, by the way, God is speaking these words. He is speaking law. He is speaking these words. And so they tremble. When I hear the Word of God, have I become so familiar with God's Word? There's no fear of God's Word. There's no uh, reverence for God's Word. There are some who would laugh at us and say, well, you know, you, you serious-minded Christians, you, you almost make the Bible an idol. We're not making the Bible an idol. But in this book are the very words of God. And these very words ought to cause a reverence, a humility in the way we receive them, and the fear of God ought to grow as we read God's Word. I hope that's true for you in your own life. So Moses says, uh, They said to Moses, You speak to us and we'll listen to you, not God. If, if God, now notice, if God speaks, we're going to die. This was an overwhelming emotional experience for the children of Israel. And so Moses says, And notice His assurance to the people. Don't be afraid. You see, when God comes, and this is something that we didn't talk about a lot last week, but when the Lord was warning Israel and the priests as they came forward to meet with God, to come forward, but He also warned the people to set boundaries around the mountain and consecrate it. This is over in 1923. He says, so that the Lord will not break forth upon them. You see, there is a glory and majesty about God that we cannot understand. He is unapproachable. Only only through the Lord Jesus Christ can we approach the glorious, mighty awesomeness of God. If we are in His presence without the glory of knowing God, we die. We die. We are human. He is glorious. And what does Moses say? Don't be afraid of God in His glory. Don't be afraid of God in His majesty. He has come, notice, He has done this on the mountain, number one, to test you in order that the fear of Him, the fear of God, I'm reading verse 20, may remain with you so that you may not sin. Why do I meet with God? I meet with God so that my life will become transformed by being with Him so that I might grow in holiness and that I might not sin. That I might live in the fear of God. The fear of God, what do we learn in Proverbs? Some of you old heads that have been with me forever, we've studied the Bible for years. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Unless I fear God, I'll never really know anything. Unless I fear God, I'll never have real wisdom in my life. And that goes for Christians. A fellow told me one time, Well, you know, the fear of God was an Old Testament thing. No, the fear of God is a Christian thing. The fear of God is a believer thing. It's what followers of Jesus do every day. So we see this beautiful picture now of Moses assuring the people. So the people stood at a distance, verse 21, while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. What an awesome sight to see this one Moses. He is such a picture, is he not, of the Lord Jesus, the Mediator? The one who was the go-between between God and the people. Moses was doing his job. He was the man, as I've called this whole series, the man who heard from God. He was the man who heard from God and spoke these words. I remind you again that Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of your Bible, are the foundation written by Moses. And frankly, as some of the rabbis say, the rest of the Old Testament is commentary on these first five books. It's commentary. The prophets comment on it. The psalmists speak to it. These are the very words of God. This is the foundation upon which we understand the law of God. And these are laws. They've come out of 20 generations, 400 years almost, of living in Egypt. They saw all the gods of Egypt. What You all have seen. You can Google it. You can see all, of that, all those idols they've dug up over there in the, in the, in the sand of Sinai, over there in Egypt. Do you see all of that? Worshipping snakes, worshiping animals, worshiping the sun, worshiping some kind of demonic characters and figures, all these things from the created order. They had seen that kind of worship. By the way, they were Jewish Egyptians. That's all they knew. And now God says, No, I am your God. I am the true God. You don't worship anything in the created order or anyone in the created order. So the people stand at a distance. Moses approaches where God was. And then the Lord says to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, one more time, You yourselves have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. You shall not make other gods besides me, gods of silver or gold, gods of gold and you shall not make them for yourselves and what will we see our dear friends in just a few <laughs> in just in just a little while longer as we go through this book the terrible horrible experience of god's people worshiping a golden calf in the wilderness while the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire swirls They stand there and they carry out immoral, ungodly idolatry in the presence of God. They didn't hear the lesson very well, did they? So you shall make an altar of earth. Why do we need an altar? Why do we need an altar? Why do we need sacrifice? It is the innocent blood for the guilty. It is the innocent blood shed for the guilty. It is substitution. It is substitution. Verse 24 is about substitution. Our Lord Jesus Christ will prepare this week for the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of Me. What did He do? His broken, lacerated, beaten body to death, beaten to a pulp, finally lanced with a spear and dies, and His blood poured out. The sacrifice. The propitiation the sacrifice for our sins. It's through the sacrifice of the innocent for the sinful that God meets us. God meets us there. And He says, you shall make an altar of earth and you shall sacrifice on it. And if you make an altar of stone, don't don't make it with fancy tools. Verse 25. Just take uncut stones and build your altar. Build your altar so that it won't be profaned because you've made some man-made altar. And then he says, you shall you shall not go up the steps to my altar so that your nakedness will not be exposed. You know, this is an interesting phrase. Uh, in those days, you know, uh, now I grew up saying britches, so if, if I'm showing my age, you know, uh, these priests weren't wearing britches. They were wearing the garments, robes, and other th- such things. and Later on, Moses will be given by God uh, some clarity on what priests should wear. But I find in this very interesting that when you come to worship, nothing should be distracting us from true worship. You know, there ought to be, and I'll just throw this out, it'll be recorded and that'll be good for time in the future. But, you know, sometimes when we go to worship, if those who lead worship, if they're not properly dressed in an appropriate way, it's distracting for worship. It just is. So perhaps I am another one of those old timers about modesty. Oh, Do we even know what that word is anymore? What is the word modesty? I don't think I know what it is. I think it's been lost from the English vocabulary, modesty. Such a wonderful thing. You see in worship it is God's will that all immodesty and indecency and whatever tends to lead to impure thoughts and stirs up unclean lust should be carefully avoided in those who lead worship and in those who participate in it. May God use that to help us understand His truth. Well, what do we remember tonight? I want to take just a moment to apply this from Paul. I want you to go to the book of Romans, take your Bible, and find Romans chapter 7. And let's reinforce these lessons. So Pastor Mike, I thought we were saved by grace and we're not under the law. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. However, let me say this to you. It is an important balance. I try to find the balance in my preaching between law and grace, law and gospel. Law and gospel. Uh, you You cannot see the entirety and the glory of the Lord Jesus Death for us unless you understand that He fulfilled completely the law of God. He lived perfectly the law of God. So what do we learn about the law of God? Well, just take your eye and follow along. (coughs) And if you're listening to us and you don't have your Bible, here's what I want to say about this for us. So how do Christians look at the Ten Commandments? How How do we deal with the Ten Commandments in our life? Uh, Well, first of all, the law of God is holy, righteous, and good. That's found in Romans 7, 12. So then, the law, he's making a conclusion, I'll go back and read some verses in a moment earlier. The law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. You see, there are some who would say, well, I don't need the Old Testament anymore, I have the Gospels, and I have the New Testament. I don't need anything from the Old Testament any longer, I'm under grace, and so I live by grace, I'm saved by grace, by faith, and therefore the law really is not helpful. No, the law is extremely helpful. Uh, the law is still to this day holy, righteous, and good. How did the Lord Jesus say it? Not one jot or tittle. That's a, those, are, those are words that describe markings in Hebrew. In Hebrew has a jod and a tittle. You, you have markings with the Hebrew words. The point is not one marking even of the words of the law will pass away. They are eternal words. They are eternally sacred and holy words. We just read holy holy words. The law is spiritual. Paul says in John excuse me Romans 7:14 for we know that the law is spiritual but I am a flesh sold into bondage. The law is holy as a rule of life and I'll just read these to you. God is holy making these words to be holy words. A holy God has spoken these holy words. They are a rule for life. They still form and shape for us a rule for life. And you know this. This group knows this. As the Lord spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, what did He do? He amplified and magnified and focused our attention on the spiritual realities behind the law of God and the Ten Commandments. You remember what He said. It was said, and I say. It was said, I say. You remember those illustrations. God's law is written in the heart. Paul said back over here in uh, Romans 2, when he's talking about the the world, even if they don't have a Bible, for when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law. You see, even in even in the pagan world of this time, you know, Egypt had laws against murder. Well, it didn't have Ten Commandments. Well, where'd that come from? Ever thought about it? Uh, all of the Hittites and Amorites and why, why archaeologists have dug up some of their uh, archaeological stones, they would write and carve their laws on these stones. Well, wait a minute, they have things about marriage, and about murder, and about property. Well, let's read this more carefully then. Romans 2.14, When Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these do not have the law, are a law to themselves. The laws inside our hearts. God made us in the image of God and we know, even our dear lost friends in the world today know, they know what is right and wrong. They know fair treatment of another human being even though they don't always come through on it. In that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or defending them. You see, that's what happens. Man's conscience is there and until it's dulled, dulled and dulled by living in the world, there is a sensitivity. That's why boys and girls have a real, when they're not saved, they have a real acute sense of their conscience. You see it in them. I told you the story of our two-year-old. The other day, again, uh, he, he's found crayons. I don't know why Pat gave him the crayons, but he has the crayons. And now the walls are marked up. And he takes me over and says, Who did that? (laughs) Nana did that. No, Nana did not do that. You did that. But he's guilty. He wanted to tell me, Who did that? Who did that? As he would say. Well, you see, God's law is confirmed in our conscience, even if we don't have the Word of God. That's why we go to the mission field and say, What you have done... What bothers you in your heart, we tell you about. In the name of Jesus Christ, you can be saved from your sin. That is sin. And then Paul amplifies this. He describes how the law is a righteous standard for self-examination. Look at uh, Romans 7.16. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. The law says don't covet. All of a sudden when I hear the word covet, now I know what I've been doing. What I've been doing, I've been coveting, but I didn't know it was called that. But the law says, that's coveting. Now the law points to me and says, this is sin. This is a violation of loving your neighbor and not loving God. So the law is righteous as a standard for self-examination. You know why I use the law of God? You know why you need to read the Ten Commandments? Because they still bring you back to the realities of the holiness of God and His standards that He expects us to live by. We will not keep the law perfectly, we know that. But there is this joy we have of seeking to keep it with responsibility as best we can. And I believe God sees that in our hearts and He honors that. The law is good revealing the sinfulness of sin. It is a convicting power. In verses 7 through 9 of Romans 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And that day... As Israel heard God speak these words, they heard in their hearts God's standard for holiness and living righteously. I gave you a quote from a great old preacher, Thomas Watson. So what do we do with all this when we think about the law of God? Well, we hear the law of God. We reverence the law of God. We remember the law of God. We believe the law of God. We love the law of God. We teach our children the law of God. And we obey the law of God to the praise God of the glory of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is near. Amen? Amen. 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 Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We have met with You tonight. We have met with You. We have met with You in Your Word. And You have said many things to us. Now, we come to the altar. Now we come to the altar. What do we say? Well, you know our hearts. For some of us it is, forgive me, Lord, for my disobedience. For some of us it is, Lord, I am ready. Use me. Take me. Use me. Send me. Do whatever you want with me. For others of us it is, Lord, create in me a new heart. Give me a holiness and a desire for Your Word that I've not had. And a desire and an expectation to meet You every day. And we thank You for the blessed Word of God and we thank You for the fellowship we have together in these days together. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen.